If chocolate is your weakness, the real chocolate decadence of Flava Naturals Performance Chocolate can be your strength. I've been searching high and low for cocoa products that deliver meaningful amounts of healthful flavanols with great flavor and minimal sugar. So I'm thrilled to have found Flava Naturals. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function, including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. But you need to eat five or more ordinary dark chocolate bars every day to match the flavanols consumed in most of these studies. Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate Cocoa Powder and beverages deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate. Their secret is sourcing premium, high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. I use it every day. For more information and to order, just go to flavanaturals.com. That's flavanaturals.com. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today, we're talking to uh, the author of an editorial in the Townsend Letter. That's uh, a magazine for practitioners of natural medicine, very popular. Uh, it's an editorial whose title is, They're Telling Us the Nutritional Supplements are a Waste of Money. And our guest today, Dr. Alan Gaby, eloquently pushes back on that assertion. Uh, but we're face to face with a virtual campaign to restrict our access to supplements. And it's buttressed by claims that uh, supplements are unregulated and that they're causing widespread havoc. Um, I'm reading from an article that was uh, recently in the Daily Mail. It's a Brit paper, but they also have a U.S. edition. Uh, they say, Revelations that the wife of a prominent California congressman died after taking an herbal remedy for diabetes and weight loss has spotlighted America's dietary supplement industry and whether its products are beneficial or even safe. Last month, it emerged that Lori McClintock, 61, the wife of Republican Tom McClintock, who's a, a big deal a congressman, uh, he heads a committee in Congress, uh, perished from dehydration and stomach swelling after eating white mulberry leaf, which is widely sold as superfood teas and capsules. And, you know, I have to say, Ellen, uh, in my entire span of my practice of, uh, well, 40 years plus, uh, I've never prescribed that particular supplement. Uh, what's the deal? I mean, I know that you don't know about the particulars. You, know, you haven't uh, read the autopsy report or, you know, the pathology report. But um, what's your feeling about this case? Yeah, well, I looked at it briefly. Uh, mulberry leaf is generally considered uh, safe. Um, it's uh, used by some people, and uh, if if it was toxic, uh, there would have been reports before. And a diabetic person who dies of dehydration, uh, anything they did right before that could have been implicated, or it may have had nothing to do with anything they did. So if uh, if a pathologist was trying to uh, list cause and effect on a scale of one to ten, whether there's ten means there's certainty that this mulberry leaf caused death, and one meaning gross uncertainty, uh, I would give it a one or a zero. I mean, anytime anybody does something and then dies after it, uh, you have to have some evidence that A caused B. So, uh, 
considering that uh, there's no prior evidence of toxicity and that the herb has been studied, um, it is highly likely that the mulberry leaf had nothing to do with her death. Indeed. I mean, uh, it's that sort of uh, correlation is uh, not causation uh, fallacy, you know, ergo hoc, proctor hoc, in, uh, in the, you know, in the language of logic, uh, that uh, uh, makes it hard to believe that uh, merely taking an herbal tea uh, caused a diabetic to decompensate and die. Uh, so, uh, however, it's, this is being harnessed uh, as a way of indicting the supplement industry at large. And uh, with the claim that there's no, it's like a free fire zone. There's no regulation. Uh, you've been involved uh, to some extent in the supplement industry. I think they've manufactured uh, products on your behalf. I don't know if you have any products actively out there right now, but uh, what's your take on the, the state of quality control uh, for most responsible companies? Well, the FDA does have the authority to uh, make sure that, A, uh, the product contains what the label says it contains, and B, that it does not contain any dangerous substances. They also have the authority to, to do chemical assays to make sure uh, of what's in there. I don't know that they have uh, the money to do that. But reputable companies will do laboratory analysis uh, of their own to see if there is bacteria or to see if there's heavy metals or to see if the product contains what it's supposed to contain. So, uh, yeah, there are probably some disreputable companies that are putting stuff out. And I think uh, it's important for people who are buying uh, supplements, nutrients and herbs to deal with companies that have been around for a long time rather than a fly-by-night company that's selling only on the, on the Internet. Uh, I've been practicing uh, for um, 30 or 40 years now. I stopped practicing to, to write my textbook, but um, I never saw a serious reaction from a supplement in my entire practice. And there's mm -hmm. some minor ones, mm -hmm. uh, you know, nausea, vomiting, headache, things like that. Uh, but uh, if the stuff is dangerous, uh, it sure got past my patients. Right. And the claims are that thousands of reports to uh, emergency rooms uh, due to supplement ingestion. And, and I just don't see how that squares with uh, reality and, you know, my own experience and your experience uh, treating patients often with, you know, multiple supplements. Um, Alan, you know, uh, you're a contrarian and, you know, you, you began as a contrarian challenging, uh, you know, medical dogma and the medical orthodoxy. Uh, but you've also been a bit of a, of a contrarian pushing back on some of the, the trends or we might call them fads uh, in the uh, nutrition world. Uh, and you've been relatively outspoken about uh, very high dose deployment of certain supplements Uh in an instance that I can recall, uh, there was uh, a push to have people take very high doses of iodine, uh, and you invade against that. Are, are you still of that opinion? Well, yes. Um, there was a, a Dr. Abraham who probably about 30 years ago came up with the theory that we should be consuming about 85 to 90 times the recommended dietary allowance for iodine based on uh, some theories which, uh, when I reviewed the citations, the medical citations that he cited, uh, he had misinterpreted the evidence, in my opinion. Uh, and there's also some evidence that high-dose iodine has adverse effects. 
in addition to in addition to messing up the thyroid gland in a small percentage of cases it can cause gastrointestinal symptoms severe acne and other problems so uh, I will acknowledge that there are certain situations where high dose iodine is useful iodine is an antimicrobial agent it kills bacteria it kills fungus and it kills uh, viruses and it can be used medicinally. There are also some skin conditions and some autoimmune conditions where iodine can be appropriately prescribed. And for fibrocystic breast disease, it's very useful too. But it has some side effects. And what I pushed back against is the concept that everybody, the population in general, should be routinely taking massive doses of iodine. So I challenged the premise and I challenged the safety and effectiveness of that. Mm -hmm. Without precluding the the selective use of iodine therapeutically, in which you write about in in your book extensively, right. The other one uh, was high dose vitamin D, and right. this this still remains popular in certain areas. There are a number of observational studies. An observational study is you look at a population, you look at their characteristics, and then you look at their outcomes. Observational studies can't prove cause and effect. So what they found, for example, is people with low blood levels of vitamin D uh, have more of certain diseases, more cancer, more heart disease, etc. So the assumption was made that if you raise the level by giving them a lot of vitamin D, that you will prevent these things. The problem with that reasoning is vitamin D in the blood is what they call an acute phase reactant. Mm -hmm. uh, put in lay terms, what that means is it drops whenever there's an inflammatory condition going mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. Many mm -hmm. chronic conditions have chronic inflammation. So the blood level of vitamin D goes down in anybody who's got any of these conditions, and it no longer appears to be a reliable indicator of true vitamin D nutritional status. So when they do randomized controlled trials, half the group gets vitamin D, half the group gets placebo, they find that there's virtually no benefit of pushing that blood level up unless somebody is severely deficient in the first place. And besides, too much vitamin D can give you kidney stones. And at least according to animal studies, too much vitamin D can increase the risk of getting heart disease. So based on what we know right now, um, I tell people to take 800 to 1200 units of vitamin D if we think they need vitamin D, not to take these massive doses like 5000. And I also do not measure the blood test because I think it's too unreliable, except in conditions where someone might be severely deficient, like if they have malabsorption, uh, Crohn's disease, for example, or celiac disease, which is the gluten intolerance disease, or if they have cancer where they might be severely depleted, or if they're old and they never go outside, and then sure, I want to know what their level is there. But for the average person, you come up with a number, you really don't know what it means, and then you start looking at people claiming that you got to push it to an optimal level. The next thing you know, you're given a massive doses of vitamin D, and we don't know whether it's helpful and it could be harmful. Uh, are you not uh, convinced by some studies that suggest that in cases of autoimmunity, uh, that vitamin D, by virtue of its uh, immune modulating effects, uh, could have benefit in, say, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, ulcerative colitis or multiple sclerosis. There are some studies that, that suggest that, and the doses that they're using are, are truly heroic. Well, yeah, there's there's this work on multiple sclerosis in Brazil where they're giving them enormous quantities, and they're claiming some benefits. 
But I've also read studies of people who have done this, and they ended up with uh, kidney failure. They had to go on dialysis. These are really large doses, even larger than the ones that I've argued against. Um, I'd like to see uh, some good studies showing that rheumatoid arthritis and ulcerative colitis can benefit. I'd like to see placebo-controlled studies. And if, if I see them come out, sure, I would uh, recalculate my risk-benefit ratio. Uh, but also, um, vitamin D is a steroid hormone. And one might argue that if you give people steroid hormones, they're going to feel better. Prednisone is a steroid hormone. That makes rheumatoid arthritis feel great. Vitamin D also. So if it is effective, and again, I'm not convinced. I don't rule it out. But if it is effective, you still have to look at the risk-benefit ratio of taking massive doses. Indeed. And, and a program note for listeners, uh, next week uh, we'll have as a guest uh, Dr. William Grant, uh, who is an expert on vitamin D, and uh, he's going to look at what's called the VITAL study, uh, which uh, has suggested that uh, vitamin D is of no benefit in terms of prevention of cardiovascular disease and cancer. Uh, he's got some important things to say about uh, vitamin D. And, uh, you know, uh, we may uh, get a dissenting opinion from him on, on the utility of vitamin D at, at higher doses. So the, sure. you know, the, the point is, it, it, look, there's so much in nutritional medicine, and I know you've lived this, uh, that remains controversial. And, and some people ask for, you know, great uh, precision. They say, should I be taking uh, alpha lipoic acid or R lipo R uh, uh, you know, lipoic acid, uh, or should I be taking, uh, uh, DIM, uh, or should I be taking, you know, an alternative form of, uh, of, uh, brassicans, uh, extract, uh, you know, indole 3 carbonyl. Indole 3 carbonyl, yeah. Right. You know, as if there is, uh, consensus and precision about that. What do you, what do you have to say to, uh, practitioners and listeners who, uh, are, are want the final word on, on these controversies? Yeah, well, when I was in my 20s and uh, starting to study this field intensely, uh, I met somebody who still has to be one of the smartest people I ever met. He was a medical doctor. He had done some research in natural medicine. And the words that he lived by and conveyed to me are, nobody knows what the heck is going on. <laughs> okay. He actually, I changed one word there. Um, and Therefore, we have to take what evidence we've got, combine it with our clinical experience, and try to come up with a logical and rational answer to any question that might come up. And in many cases, it is, well, we really don't know, but based on what we do know, this is probably what I would say. And if people want a definitive answer, then uh, they're not going to get that from me. I saw a patient one time who was very upset with me because I could not give her a definitive answer to all these questions. Right. And she said, well, my chiropractor can give me definitive answers, to which I replied, how do you know your chiropractor is correct? <laughs> to which she had no reply. Right. So, yeah, we take what the evidence we've got and the more we study and the more clinical experience we've got and the more humility with which we approach yes. the field. Word. Um, the better uh, advice we can give. And it's always interim advice. We're always learning. Right. And, you know, you're a big believer in uh, research and, you know, you've, you've combed uh, dusty stacks to find, uh, uh, you know, ancient manuscripts that uh, talk about 
the application of certain nutrients to various medical conditions. But uh, lately, you've expressed some concerns about uh, the veracity of, uh, of studies. Uh, and, and there's been a lot of that on, on the conventional side, too. Uh, a lot of people are saying that uh, many studies uh, are cherry-picked, uh, that they stack the deck in favor of a preordained conclusion. And could the same be true of certain studies about the benefits of nutrients? Well, there, there's two aspects of that. Number one is bias. You can have bias in the way you design a study uh, to show efficacy or to show lack of efficacy. I know mm -hmm. there are some studies funded by the pharmaceutical industry that appeared to have been designed specifically to show that, for example, St. John's work did not work for depression. The way they did that study, there was no way it was going to work. You could have told me uh, designed to fail. it didn't matter what they used. Designed to fail. Designed to fail. And then there's others that are designed to succeed. Uh, or the way they interpret the research. I mean, you ignore the evidence that goes against what you're trying to put out. And you highlight the other evidence. And if you read the abstract of a paper, sometimes it is very different from what you actually see in the paper. So that's one, the evidence of bias. And that occurs both in the pharmaceutical industry and in the nutritional industry. And we need to call that out. We need to uh, try to get people to be more honest. But, you know, the bottom line is people are trying to sell their product. They're trying to sell their drugs. They're trying to sell their, their nutrients. But the medical profession, when they do research, they need to be straight on it. They need not to show bias. And that's sometimes it's a problem. The second area that concerns me is out-and-out uh, -out research fraud. And it's hard to prove. But in the past 10 years, I've been concerned that some studies that have been published in the medical literature may have been uh, research that was never actually conducted, that people wrote a paper, said, here's what we did, here's what we found, and they actually never did it. They just wanted to get a paper published. Uh, it's not generally to sell products. It's more often that people like to become famous or get more grant money by having more publications. Uh, my concerns about this potential uh, mostly coming from a couple countries, Iran, Egypt, uh, and to a lesser extent, but still significant, India, Pakistan, Japan, and believe it or not, uh, I'm concerned about some studies from Italy. Now, you know, it's uh, problematic to make allegations, uh, but having spent the past 50-some years reading research, you can look at a paper and see, well, wait a minute. There's no way they could have done that study. They wouldn't have even gotten anybody to sign up for it. It's just the craziest protocol in the world. Or the number of people that they had, there's no possibility that they could have recruited that many people in that short a period of time. So in the past five years, I've been working with some, some other uh, researchers uh, in New Zealand who are experts at uh, exposing questionable research. And uh, they, with some of my help, have gotten some papers retracted out of the medical literature and uh, dozens of other ones they're looking at now. And, you know, it's, I think it's a, a important to root out uh, fraud and, and corruption, uh, you know, on both sides of the fence, uh, you know, whether it uh, uh, substantiates the benefits of nutritional supplements or whether it's about pharmaceutical drugs. So I commend you for being even handed on that. Uh, you know, the, the latest uh, health crisis that we're facing uh, of course, is revolves around an infectious disease, COVID. And uh, what I found particularly 
ungratifying about our response to COVID is how little we've emphasized uh, lifestyle and the potential for diet and nutritional supplementation, uh, not as a definitive cure uh, or as a perfect bulwark against COVID, but at least to acknowledge the role that it might play uh, in lieu of, of other more definitive therapies when none have proven completely perfect. Sure. Well, you know, everybody knows that obesity is a risk factor for bad outcomes in COVID and poor immune function is a risk factor. So what's the best way to improve your immune function and lose some weight? Go to the gym. So yep. what do they do when COVID starts? They shut down all the <laughs> right. gyms. Right. That wasn't very smart, it seems. And uh, there's reasonable evidence, not definitive, but reasonable that uh, cutting out sugar, identifying uh, hidden food allergies and avoiding them, and taking modest doses of various supplements such as zinc and vitamin C, uh, a little bit of vitamin A, a little bit of vitamin D, uh, can enhance immune function. There's also published studies. They don't all agree, but some studies have shown that taking vitamin D at the first sign of COVID improves the outcome. There are some studies showing that intravenous vitamin C given at the first sign of severe COVID uh, improves the outcome. So uh, unfortunately, uh, there was not enough research in that area. This was a perfect opportunity for uh, nutritional medicine to shine, for NIH to fund some good studies. Let's give half the people intravenous vitamin C, half of them placebo that are hospitalized and see what happens. But they didn't do that. So it was a wasted opportunity. And uh, I have to say uh, it's been going that way for the past 40 years since I've been looking at that. But we missed a big, big chance to show nutritional medicine works. Instead, uh, they did the opposite. Uh, they targeted people who were talking about nutrition for COVID uh, as uh, spreaders of misinformation, uh, even using the enforcement arm of the Federal Trade Commission to go after them in some instances uh, and uh, using social media to uh, do uh, shadow banning or, or, or takedown or an outright uh, banning of some of these some of these sources of, of truthful information. So uh, not only is it a, a missed opportunity, <laughs> there was <laughs> yeah they launched a task force to stomp out uh, any suggestion that there might be something there. they did. And I think people know that now, and I think there's going to be a lot of blowback against censorship. Uh, hopefully that would not happen again if we if we face a similar situation. Okay, great. So uh, what, uh, in conclusion, anything that uh, is especially interesting to you on the nutritional front, because it's continuously uh, evolving, uh, new supplements are appearing, uh, things like uh, NADH, uh, CBD, uh, you know, various uh, new nutraceuticals, uh, anything on your uh, radar screen that you plan to study and write about? Well, I mean, I just write about things as the research comes out. Regarding NADH, uh, NADH is a uh, break, it's not a breakdown product, it's a metabolite of vitamin B3 or niacinamide. And there's an enormous body of research showing that niacinamide is useful for many different things, from preventing skin cancer to treating schizophrenia to treating glaucoma, as I mentioned in the, in the previous section. Uh, it's got an anti-anxiety effect. It's helpful for insomnia, just enormous things. What I have not seen yet is any evidence that NAD or NADH works any better than niacinamide. Niacinamide's been around for decades. Uh, it's inexpensive. It's one of the least expensive supplements. And so, so far, I'm waiting to see if there's any 
evidence saying that we should use the more expensive NAD product than the less expensive niacinamide. So ju just as an aside, uh, even though nutritional medicine is usually very safe, it is possible to harm yourself. You can take uh, several grams of niacinamide a day and you can damage your liver. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, And we're distinguishing it from niacin because niacin, niacin is, the, is either the, one of them. Yeah, so niacin is definitely associated with liver problems. Uh, that, that there was, worse. Yeah, there was a guy who wrote the eight-week cholesterol cure, and then he got involved in a class action suit because he told people to take high-dose niacin to lower their cholesterol. Yeah. We know that. But niacinamide, which is the flush-free form, uh, less toxic to the liver, but you can get in trouble if you're megadosing. So caution needs well, to be Well, according to Abram Hoffer, who treated 5,000 patients with schizophrenia, one out of 2,000 will get chemical hepatitis from three grams a day or more. So my, my practice has always been if somebody's on 1,500 milligrams of niacinamide a day or more, I will occasionally do a blood test yep. and make sure they're okay. I've never seen a problem at that level. But th the point I'm trying to make is although nutritional supplements are usually very safe, it is possible to mess yourself up and you should seek the advice of a healthcare practitioner rather than just treating yourself and assuming you always know what you're doing. Indeed. Uh, and that's a, a role for uh, a well-trained cadre of health professionals, especially when they rely on authoritative sources like uh, your voluminous textbook, very authoritative nutritional medicine, it's called. And that says it all. It's uh, the textbook of uh, nutritional medicine uh, now in its second edition. Uh, that's available uh, in hard copy. Uh, which is a, a big tome, but it's also you have an e-copy, which is great for reference purposes. I use it all the time. And uh, the third uh, edition is in the works, which I think uh, a lot of people are very excited to hear. So, uh, yeah, just, just as an aside, the only way to get the e-book version is on my website. That's mm -hmm. drgaby.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-G-A-B-Y.com. You can get the hardcover there, too, or you can get the hardcover at Amazon, but not the e-book. Great. I mean, I I really heartily uh, endorse it. it. It is so uh, authoritative. And, and again, you apply uh, the same kind of rigor uh, to your analysis of uh, supplements as, as you've provided on today's podcast. So, you know, people should know where you're coming from. Uh, you're dedicated to scientific veracity, even if it doesn't sometimes uh, point in the direction that we'd like it to. So great stuff. Uh, Thanks again for, for being an inspiration and uh, a role model and a mentor to me in my professional career. And I'm sure that uh, many people out there who have listened to you over the years uh, will endorse that, that view. Well, thank you. It's been nice to talk to you, Dr. Huffman. Thank you. That's Dr. Alan Gaby. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. As an Intelligent Medicine listener, you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. But vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle. That's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. My specially curated professional-grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant, and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com. 
to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll also receive free shipping on all of your store orders. That's drhoffmanstore.com. drhoffmanstore.com.